Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, before we dig into Game 1 of the NBA Finals, how's your week going? How's your day going? How's your newsletter going? Fill us in on all things Chris Herring right now. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> uh, good enough to where it's not worth taking you through the the life and times of Chris Herring. Uh, but um, no, it's, it's good. It's good to get the finals rolling after a few days away from the NBA. Uh, and pretty, pretty interesting start. You know, it's. it's it, I think we all came into the series thinking it could be really good one way or the other, and um, game one did not disappoint in that regard. I mean, quarter one of game one did not disappoint in that regard, and, you know, though I'm sure there are plenty of people that did not like the outcome of it, and at least one person that probably did enjoy the outcome of it. Uh, you know, it, it was it was really entertaining to watch, and it I'm fascinated. I know we'll get into this over the course of the podcast, but really fascinated to see how much Golden State opts to change up or if they play out game two the way they spoke after game one, if mm-hmm. they're going to just kind of be like, they just went off. They just had like a historically ridiculous fourth quarter, um, which I think will tell us a lot about how they react in game two. Yeah, I think that'll be, uh, we'll definitely touch on all that. On today's show, we'll pretty much exclusively just be taking a deep dive into game one of the NBA Finals, talking adjustments, talking what stood out, our reactions. But first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Okay, Chris, so last night, uh, 
The Boston Celtics beat the Golden State Warriors 120 to 108. Boston trailed by 15 points late in the third quarter and outscored the Warriors 40 to 16 in the fourth. That 24 point differential is the largest in a fourth quarter in NBA Finals history. The Celtics went 21 for 41 behind the arc, which is something you alluded to in your little intro there. Al Horford and Derek White scored 47 points together, which is pretty much what you and I, I think we predicted somewhere around there, that point total for uh, for Horford and Derek <laughs> White in our last episode. Um <laughs> Why don't we begin with you just telling our loyal listeners a little bit about your viewing experience, your expectations going into the game, and what your zoomed-out reaction was to just watching one of the wildest swings in finals history take place before your eyes. So I'm going to be real. Um, <laughs> my newsletter watch. comes out on <laughs> Tuesdays. You would hope that I'd be real as opposed to being fake. Um I had a couple of thoughts on this series uh, I, I, beforehand. One is that, damn, I really blew it with the Mavericks prediction that we both made <laughs> yes. last series. And so I was like, we don't talk about that. Anymore. I don't have I don't have the balls really to pick against the Warriors again, because I'd have to be wrong twice in, in a two week, three week span. Um, but Boston is, is about as well equipped as a team could theoretically be to take out Golden State. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, and one of them is that they are capable of, of doing things, even if Tatum or Brown does not shoot particularly well. They, they are a very deep team. I would argue probably a little bit deeper than Golden State. Um, and they, they have guys that like nobody's really a, a total minus. You have to pay attention to everyone on the court. And for that reason, depending on what lineups they play, and this is one of the reasons that I think they were so intriguing. One of the things I almost added to the newsletter, um, and because uh, Matt Wong, our editor, had said, he, he sent me an email earlier in the week saying, you're, you're lead off this week because Monday was a holiday for most people. Um, he basically said, you're going to have the first crack at writing about the finals if you want to. And I think he said that Michael may do some X's and O's stuff. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to get too deep into that bag. One, because I haven't really taken all the time to study it yet. But also, two, um, you know, I have a, a different angle I want to write about for the finals. So I wrote about Udoka and Steve Kerr and some of the, the, the slight similarities between the 14-15 Warriors that won the title and this team as it related to a team being taken over by a first-year head coach and all those things. But one of the things I almost added just out of like it would have been a sprinkle of it and not really a full breakdown I thought Horford had the potential to have a pretty good series here because of all the the matchup issues and kind of like, okay, we can expect that Golden State is going to throw their attention at this, this, and this. Who does that leave open? Because they're going to stretch you. This offense is going to stretch you and space you out. Um, so Horford had the potential to do that. We obviously have seen that in earlier series, certainly in the Bucks series. Uh, and so it wasn't stunning to me that he had a really big game Yesterday. Now, if you would ask me, did I expect him and Derek White and Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard and everybody else to hit every three they took at one point or another? No, I wouldn't have expected that. But I did think that Draymond's reaction, and again, I'm sure we'll get into this. I was a little bit surprised at like how dismissive he was of that. Um, 
they hit 50% of their threes. Okay, Golden State made more than 40% of theirs. And they weren't, like, awful from three before they went on this tear late in the game either. Uh, I mean, they, they were right there. And he Draymond made the comment that first 41, 42 of that minutes of that game, we were dominating. Uh, no. They were trailing I mean, by four it, at halftime. Right. So it, it, it's like it wasn't – I mean, Steph Curry had the most supernova first quarter we've seen in a minute. He had a whole – a good first half's worth of points in one quarter. And then obviously had foul trouble and, and didn't score in the second. But Boston was right there then too. And and Tatum didn't play well either. So, I mean, there, sure, there's some give and take in the box score that you're not going to ever expect them to, to play that well. But, like, you know, there are people that I respect that I was following saying, there's no way Horford does that again. There's no way Derek White does that again. Derek White just had a game this good two games ago. Uh, Al Horford has had this was not his career high in this playoff run, so it's 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 unlikely that we see all the lightning strikes at the same time. But let's not get it twisted. Like Boston, this is part of what they do is that they stretch you out this far, and that they've got a lot of guys that can make shots. And uh, again, it was a little bit unusual how many of them they made within that span. Highly unusual given that we'd never seen a team hit that many in, in one quarter. Um, in one fourth quarter at least. But, you know, I, I I think that if they'd made some of those in the third and then the rest of them in the fourth and it's balanced out a little bit more, it was just stunning because of how big a lead Golden State had and how much ground Boston made up that quickly. But if it had been balanced out a little bit differently, I mean, Boston shot very well, but it wasn't... I would not just gamble on the fact that Boston can't repeat this shooting performance. Maybe not in one quarter, but over the course of a game... When you dare guys to make shots, and I, I think it was uh, Haralabob yesterday tweeted pictures of, of the fact that, like, do, are you sure you want to suggest that this is just luck? Because there were, like, seven or eight shots that they made in that fourth quarter that were relatively wide open. Um, so, I, I don't know. There's a lot to take from it. I, I don't know if Golden State needs to overreact. But I still don't think it's right to be completely dismissive of what we saw late yesterday either. Yeah, I think the timing of the offensive blitz that Boston set upon Golden State really magnifies or maybe changes the perception of um, how damaging it was and how good their offense was in other parts of the game. Like their offensive rating in the first half, I'm looking at it right now, was 119.1. That's like an incredibly good. good number. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um in the third, in the fourth quarter, it was one eighty one point four or something. <laughs> right. So it's just like, I mean, yeah, like the fourth quarter, there was some anomalous shooting there. Derek White hit one. I, I was fine with every three Derek White took. He hit one that was contested with the shot clock going down. That was like, okay, what is happening right now? But sure. the margin was like, I think that tied it or that put Boston up two or put Boston up one or something. I don't even know how to break this game down, Chris. I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, should we just start chronologically and work our way from the first quarter onto the fourth quarter? Because I'd actually like that. Let's go that the, way. So the first quarter, we talk about, look, I don't think that, um, obviously, I, I know Steph is the greatest shooter who's ever lived, but for Boston to be down four points after he scored 21 in that first quarter, 21 and 12 minutes, played the whole first frame as he normally does. And 
Boston's defense, it's not like Steph was hitting, you know, ridiculous ISO step backs after like nine dribbles like he used to do. Um, Boston's defense just like lost him. Like the bigs were dropped too low uh, in transition. They thought they were supposed to switch. Um, guys didn't switch. Marcus Smart was trying to switch and he would go under. A, he went under one drag screen by Kavon Looney and Jalen is supposed to come over and Jalen is just like not um, recognizing what's going on. And so Steph just ca- got caught loose, um, got loose a few times for three. But the fact that Boston weathered that and was only down four and really didn't let what Steph was doing impact how they were executing on offense. And they executed really well on offense, particularly Jason Tatum, who finished three for 17. And we'll talk about him a little bit later or whenever you want to talk about Jason Tatum's game. Um, We talk about like um, outliers, I guess, bringing up the fourth quarter and like Steph's 21 points in a quarter is kind of a little bit of something you can't uh, rely upon if you're Golden State looking for offense, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. Boston's defense was really good in this game after that first quarter. They settled down. They started switching a little bit more. But what did you make of just, like, what Steph did and how Boston responded to it in real time? It was like he was throwing... You know, he just couldn't miss. And he was at his absolute apex. And for the deficit to only be four after that first 12 minutes, Boston had to be feeling really good about themselves. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was interesting. Like I I. I was kind of surprised that Boston was only behind by a basket or two through that onslaught. I mean, Steph. We've seen Steph get hot before. We've seen him have ridiculous quarters before. It's something different. Like the mentality he had is that it, it almost felt like I'm winning this damn finals MVP after all this time. Um, <laughs> like he came out gunning for it. And when you hit six threes in the first quarter, you got 21 in the first quarter. I've actually been noticing all postseason. It feels like we've seen a lot of 20 point first quarters from guys. Tatum has had that. Giannis has had um, a stretch like that. I feel like Embiid has done it. Uh, you know, so we, we've seen them uh, come about. But with Steph, it always feels different just because it, it's just such a deflating thing to feel like you're trying to wrap him up defensively, and he still does that. So I thought one of the most interesting takeaways, I, I've complained and kind of bitched for years about how uninformative the mic'd up sequences are. Mm-hmm. Um we got one of the better ones we've had in a while. And it's funny because I feel like whenever we get good ones, it's always the Warriors. It's always involving the Warriors, seemingly. A few years ago, there was one where Steve Kerr said something, and I can't remember. I think he was talking to Durant about moving the ball or something. It was a few years back. But it was like stunning how kind of like, wow, they're airing this? I'm sure he would not appreciate this being aired. Uh, and I, I didn't feel that way about yesterday. Like it wasn't anything revelatory, super revelatory, but it was just interesting to hear like, guys, we're playing way too far down to guard against someone like Steph. This isn't Miami anymore. You have to get way further up to just kind of cut off his airspace. And that was exactly the adjustment you saw 
after a while is that Rob Williams was not playing it. I mean, he wasn't ever playing at the free throw line, but you also can't be just merely at the three-point line. You have to be higher up than that against Steph when he, when he comes around the screen. So we saw a lot of that. I also think that the, the big difference when you talk about the, the lack of sustainability with Steph was, one, he had three fouls very early. And I think, two, and, and I think Tim Legler was the one that raised this point on either Get Up or Sports Center, whatever it was. Uh, I hadn't thought about it in this way. Jordan Poole, who often gets in games a little bit sooner than he did because Steph had it rolling so well, um, when he did get in the game and when he was playing alongside Steph, Steph still had the hot hand based on what he'd done in the first quarter. So Jordan Poole, a guy that normally can touch the ball as much as he wants and kind of be as aggressive as he wants to be, maybe was not in that frame of reference or in that mode when he started the game. And I think a lot of us have been curious about how good he'd be in the series. I think a lot of us are wondering, like, defensively, how well does he hold up in this series? But he got off to as bad a start as you could really have and then had, like, a, a, a true Carlton moment at the end of the first half with, uh, with that ugly-ass shot that, you know, the clock was rewinding down and he just, you know, flinged it off the top of the backboard. Uh, but just did not ever fully look comfortable in the game at all. Obviously, he's playing against an elite defense. Uh, obviously, this is a team that's going to try to make him pay defensively. But for whatever reason, just did not look comfortable. Maybe first game jitters, first time being in the finals, being one of the younger guys in the postseason. But then again, you're looking at a, a whole group of players on the other side that have never been in the finals either. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut... 
Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Can we talk about pool? Can we focus on pool for two seconds? Let's do it. Um, it's probably not the player that I, I thought we would focus on first, I guess, really, <laughs> okay. on this podcast. But, um, so he was minus 19 on the court. The Warriors were plus seven when he was off. I, you know, as the playoffs have been going on, I have kind of fallen out of love with Jordan Poole. The way he, look, I think he's like a really talented offensive player, really talented scorer, moves really well without the ball, perfect fit in Golden State's system. Something about him, as the playoffs have gone on, I've kind of thought to myself, like, is he a, you know, the 16-game versus 82-game player trope that Draymond said a few years ago to Bob Myers? I kind of don't know if Jordan Poole is necessarily um, a 16-game player. And what I mean by that is, obviously, he can have success in a playoff series, and he can swing a playoff game. He can take over, as he has for stretches in this run, but he's not built for every single matchup. And I don't know if this is his series. And, you know, you could talk defensively, obviously, there's the shortcomings there. And they hunted him uh, with, you know, I think the help behind the, the, the hunt was really effective. For, the, for most of the night by Golden State, but they still hunted him. You had Jalen Brown had a lot of success, particularly in that end of the third quarter to fourth quarter stretch where he kind of single-handedly dragged um, Boston back into the game from their deficit, hunted pool there. Tatum hunted pool. And there's just these segments where, like, Peyton, there's one play where Peyton Pritchard was guarding Jordan Poole and, and Poole tried to take him off the bounce and Pritchard's up on him pretty physical he's touching him and he pokes the ball loose as Jordan tries to make his his t- tries to drive by him and turn the corner and instead of like trying to go get the ball or look back at the ball Jordan Poole just looks at the ref and is like like sh- puts his hands up and I was like this is this is how the Celtics were playing for the past two rounds this is how they defend so the refs aren't really going to bail you out here, and I don't know. He needs to adjust uh, to the physicality of the series very quickly, um, or I don't know if like when Gary Payton the second gets healthy, if Gary Payton the second is just going to like take almost all of his minutes or what. But uh, he's he he intrigues me in this series because I, I they really need him offensively to you know spruce up their offense um and hit really difficult shots against the switch everything defense that Boston has but I don't I don't know if this is like the series for him am I being too hyperbolic off of one game Chris I I, I mean I think 
it would have been somewhat feasible to have had some of that take before this game too. As part of the reason he was an intriguing player for this series. Hell, I got to, you know, talking about some of this stuff again from our editors was even kind of being asked, like, do you want to write something about pool later in the series? Which I think is probably a bigger question just about how he's looked throughout the playoffs, kind of the, um, the growing perception of what he is as a player with how young he is, how quickly he's kind of burst onto the scene but also the thought that he's going to be really impactful or at least he's going to be a bellwether for this series in some way. Yes. If he plays really well, it probably speaks to the fact that Golden State is going to win. If he really struggles, who is really providing that scoring? Do we get three or four games from Clay that are really good as opposed to one or two? Um, you know, another guy that did not play particularly well yesterday and, and had moments where he really no, struggled. No yesterday. burst. No burst from Clay. No. Off the bounce. No. None. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a really, really key question. Uh, Draymond is not going to give you the scoring. You know, as we talk about how Tatum looked yesterday, um, if we had had to guess like which player is going to only make two or three shots and have 13 assists, uh, you're probably hoping that it's Draymond rather than Jason Tatum in this series. Uh, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe you're happy that, that Tatum is only making three if you're Golden State. But you have to get some scoring out of somebody else. Uh, we did see Iguodala make a return yesterday. Uh, so I kept thinking that Gary Payton was going to get time. Uh, and, and at a certain point, if he's healthy enough to play, and if you're not going to get offense out of any of those guys we just talked about, I don't think you're expecting a whole lot out of Draymond, certainly not from a scoring standpoint, although he had one play where he legitimately threw the ball at the basket from like four or five feet away. It was one of the uglier things I've ever seen. Um, and then there was a separate tweet that I shared in our group text uh, about the fact that Draymond <laughs> that it, Draymond had a, a jump shot that sounded like Dunkirk. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, so the offense was really not pretty. And at one point it was really funny because Mark Jones asked on the telecast, you know, if you're Golden State, what do you do? And God bless Mark Jackson, man, because he just said, execute. <laughs> he literally left it at that. <laughs> and Golden State scored on that play. He's like, see? So what I tell you? It's just like, okay. It's a lot easier said than done. And granted, Golden State will be able to score and can score on Boston. They showed that early on when Steph had it rolling. There will be moments where they can get it rolling even when Steph maybe is not the the impetus behind it. But uh, it's, it's going to be challenging. And I think it's going to be challenging for Jordan Poole. Maybe he needed kind of a feel-out game just to really get his feet under him as a young guy, as a guy that's never been on a stage like this before, and as a guy that is still growing into this role. You know, I think the assumption is that he's already made it. He's already that guy. Um, and, and maybe he is, but this would be a really good moment to really solidify and prove that you are. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. It, it, there's a lot of questions, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Steph if somebody like Poole or if we don't ever really see Clay kind of you know look comfortable here have a game where he's he's shooting at 50 60 percent from the floor like we know he can do we can't wait till you know for game six clay here necessarily uh, it would be nice to be able to do that but uh they're gonna have to to provide a little bit more offensive punch outside of Steph to see it i think yeah when boston's defense is like really dialed in particularly when they're big and Steve Kerr had Andre Iguodala on the court, or even like Andrew Wiggins when Rob Williams or Al Horford was on Andrew Wiggins, which is the first tactical um, move that Ime made from the start that I think surprised um, a few people. 
like they're just they're ignoring Andrew Wiggins and they're just like, all right, we're going to be in the paint and we're going to be very and like Steph Curry had a couple drives in the game where he just had nothing going in the paint where usually the floor is so spaced because of how Golden State runs their offense, their motion offense, where he gets these really he can get these really tricky um layups and reverses and finger rolls and all and he made a couple of them but some of them like were just over rob williams extended and they went high off the glass and he couldn't convert them because they're basically impossible and that's because the celtics are just like we don't we're not really caring about andrew wiggins right now so i thought that was pretty interesting can i Um, add one thing to what you're saying I, I do think one of the adjustments we might see at some point, and I, like I said, I, I think Golden State has to resist overreacting here to game one because, again, and you and I have said it, so I think we're both believers in the sense that Boston could do this again. Maybe not the fourth quarter specifically, but Boston is capable of having a game where they shoot, you know, multiple games where they shoot 45, 50% from three on a lot of attempts. Maybe the, the makes come from Tatum and Brown as opposed to coming from literally everybody else. That's kind of what we saw yesterday. Um, but I do think Golden State, one thing that I would be curious about, not so much game two, but just the rest of the series, you know, possibly games four, five, six, seven, whatever. Um, having two non-shooters out there at one time against a defense that is this ravenous that is you know that flies around this much that switches this much I do wonder whether we'll continue to see Looney and Green out there all the time or Draymond and Iguodala out there at the same time or when Gary Payton comes back if we you know it just kind of feels like you're asking a little bit too much of Steph to create all that space for you to to then still not have enough space uh seems like a wild way to think about it or put it but that that could be the reality of what we're talking about in some ways. Um, it's a, when it's you talk a, it's about a Draymond, why it's difficult to get it going. Yeah, it's a Draymond conundrum, right? Because like mm-hmm. you need his defense, <clears throat> and I think you know when we talk about Tatum, I'm, I'm going to bring up Draymond a little bit and talk about what he how he guarded um, Tatum off ball, which was basically the whole game and <clears throat> dictated a lot of why Tatum had his 13 assists and two turnovers. But you need Draymond on the court. Um, at least uh, seemingly you need Draymond on the court for his defense and his just his overall intangibles and his value and his quarterbacking and all of that and how he pushes you on offense in transition and just everything that Draymond does you like need him on the court but he doesn't shoot and so when then when you have um, a Looney and if Looney is not getting offensive rebounds offensively it's kind of tough for him to to have an impact um, in a half-court offense um, you're not really guarding Wiggins. So Wiggins has to hit shots. Wiggins has to, you know, he made some, like, you know, I think ISO possessions for Wiggins are going to be big in this series, and he actually made some shots. Missed he some did too. well enough yesterday for them to yeah, win, I think. I, I thought he played fine. Um, he's a he's the bellwether for me in the series in a lot of ways on both ends. Like, he needs to punish them when they ignore him. But Iguodala's minutes were curious to me. From the sense that, like, you're kind of pressed because of how you're built against a team that has these two scoring wings. And Jalen Brown, we're burying the lead with Jalen Brown, who had, like, one of the best games of his career. But, like, you need guys who can guard Jalen and Tatum. 
Like, that's really what it is. And Wiggins can't guard both of them. So you need Iguodala. GP2 is just huge in this series, I think. They hunted Steph. Um, they hunted Poole, as I said. And, like, Iguodala can't really shoot. I know he made a couple shots. Those are shots that the Celtics are, like, fine with. If he wants to take... he, I think he had one long two with, like, four on the shot clock. He had a corner three... I forget who it was over. Was it over Rob Williams? Was it over Tice? I can't remember. Um, those are shots that like the Celtics are fine with if they're taking away, you know, if they have two on Steph and they're forcing Steph to give it up late in the clock um, or forcing Clay to give it up. But like I, yeah, the, the, the issue of spacing the floor and not having enough two-way players, guys who can like body Tatum or body Jalen. Right. That's the conundrum right now. Otto Porter is like is huge. I, Otto Porter can't guard Jalen Brown. He just can't do it. Like so, yeah. That's. I mean, it's not really like a. It's not really like a rocket science revelation here. But like, you need big wings who are athletic and long to stick with Boston's offense and slow down the traction that they get just when they're isolating. And Golden State's personnel isn't really there, so they have to pack the paint. And when you pack the paint, then that's how they get these the wide open threes off the sprayouts. So it's interesting. It's just a fascinating matchup and a fascinating game to kind of analyze and go off of as we kind of head into game two. Yeah, and and I mean it's it's interesting. I'm just looking back at the box score really briefly. Um, like you said, Peyton feels like someone that could end up being pretty important in this series we didn't see him you know it's also feasible that although he was available like you really would prefer not to use him just yet if you don't have to um you had a 15 point lead um right basically right before you started the fourth so maybe a thought that you don't need him or let's get him a little bit closer to full full health before we put him out there against a very physical team um so you you could imagine that you'll see him later on especially if other guys are struggling to produce, and those are guys that are people that you lean on for their offense. You might find that you need more defense in a series like this, assuming that Tatum figures it out. Um, Tatum, you know, for all the the good defense that was played against him at the rim, kind of the second level of defense, uh, he missed plenty of open shots as well that you would kind of expect him to make. Um, I also thought it was interesting, too, like, you know, we've seen Grant Williams kind of fluctuate in terms of how important or how impactful he's going to be from one series to the next. Or how much you're going to lean on him? Uh, he, you know, I kind of forgot he was even there uh, yesterday, just because it was a game where really his fingerprints weren't on this game at all. But you know, it, it, again, if you're getting that much from Derek White, you're getting that much from Horford, you're getting that much from some of your other guys, Pritchard, Smart, you know, then maybe it doesn't quite matter what you get or what you don't get from Grant Williams. But it's just a a really, really unprecedented sort of quarter. But I, as we said before. I do think that the quarter is going to prompt a lot of people to overlook the fact that if you took just the numbers of this generally and didn't focus on it by quarter by quarter, um, this very easily could have been your outcome anyway. Um, And I I, I do think that there's a lot that you have to kind of put into that and put on that. Uh, The Golden State does have some questions to answer aside from just that fourth quarter. They could have won the game easily. But I do think that it would be a mistake to just kind of dismiss it and write it off as like a law of averages thing. If we're going to go off that, maybe this is the regression of what we just saw from the 
Golden State series where we were kind of all shocked at how many wide open shots Dallas was missing. Uh, you know, so there, I don't know. You can't always just look at it as a mere law of averages. Four games of this, three more games of this, and Boston wins the series, and then you don't have to worry about a law of averages anymore. So I, I do think that Golden State is going to have to make some adjustments. I think they just have to not give in to the idea of adjusting too much or, or kind of overcorrecting. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Yeah, so I want to talk about Tatum real quick. So Tatum finished 3 for 17. I feel like he has one dud scoring performance per series. Mm -hmm. And Boston usually doesn't survive those games because they need his scoring. (laughs) Um He's their best player by far. Uh, but he made up for it with 13 assists and two turnovers. And the thing about Tatum's game was, like, it's clear to me that Golden State's defensive strategy, like, they were basically 
you know, when he was hunting the smalls, they and even before he even hunted the smalls, like he he would run a pick and roll with like Rob Williams, and Draymond is in the paint. Draymond is not guarding either. He's not guarding Tatum. He's not guarding Rob. He's just in the paint. He was in the paint the whole game, and I wonder. You know, when you watch the film, as I rewatched the game this morning, because I'm going to be writing about Boston's offense, which I thought was that was the most fascinating part of the game to me was how they were able to score so efficiently beyond the the blitz at the end of the game. But like, if you're Steve Kerr, and you've said this many times, do you kind of panic and do you change what you're doing if you are the Warriors and like? Do you think Draymond needs to kind of lessen his aggression defensively? Like, particularly when he's on, I know Smart hit four threes, and Draymond wasn't guarding him for all of those threes, but Draymond did help off Smart. Draymond helped off Horford dramatically. Um, Do you, like... Should Draymond be a little bit more traditional with his help coverage? I, this is who Draymond is, and he's he's a he's a genius player, and he just is a free safety. That's that's how he wreaks havoc so uniquely, particularly when they're small. But like, is that the adjustment that Steve Kerr makes, or are you, do you think they kind of are just like, all right, we are still going to try to take everything away from, we're going to take everything at the paint away from Tatum. And away from Jalen. I mean, they only allowed, I think, eight shots at the rim in the whole game. Like that, wow. Golden State's defense has been tremendous all playoffs long at protecting the paint and and keeping guys out out of the restricted area. But like, I don't I, like. I think there's like a happy in between or a happy medium here potentially with Draymond in particular and how aggressive he was helping because. Some of it was just like, like Al Horford's not a bad three point shooter. Like he just he isn't. Like you can't just le- yeah. be, leave him wide, wide open. So I thought that that was that was interesting. Do you think that Steve Kerr will change it up? I guess is my question after my ramble. So so yeah, I, I mean I think that I think they probably will at least tweak that um, again. Without I think it would be a mistake to kind of go completely the other direction. Um, but I think the truth is like you could live with Tatum scoring a little bit more than he did. Um, if, if he has more, what did he have? 12 or something like that. Um, yeah. I, I would rather have Tatum have 20 and not spray the ball out for 13 assists or whatever it was. Um, and even before the fourth quarter, because I saw a lot of people, there was one guy like tweeting with me last night. He's starting to get on my nerves a little bit because I'm like, <laughs> I feel like he's super contrarian in every tweet I have. I'm like, that tweet wasn't difficult to understand. You're literally the only one taking issue with it. And all I had said was that Tatum, even before the game got really far in, Tatum had, what did he have, seven assists in the first half or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, like he, I think he had more assists in the first half when the Celtics weren't making everything under the sun. Than he did in the second. Really, the guy oh, that he, benefited he, he most. The, yeah, he he read the game perfectly. He yeah. read the game really, really well. And I mean, you've seen guys have stinkers of a performance where they're not shooting well, but they're not giving you anything else. Tatum played pretty good defense in that game, and he sprayed the ball all over the place. And if anybody really, really benefited from the late game flurry of threes, I think Brown 
had 10 points in that fourth, and I think he had five assists. So I think he was kind of the beneficiary of a lot of those makes at the end of the game from an assist standpoint. Tatum had a couple as well, um, particularly the one to Pritchard out in the corner. But uh, I would rather live with Tatum kind of having 20 or maybe closer to his 25 and a few assists as opposed to 13 because that signals right away that everybody else is beating you and there's not really a clear – like. If you're the Warriors, you're, you're trying to triage it to some extent. Um, you don't want to have to worry about five different people all the time. Now, that's the reality of defense, but you're trying to figure out, like, if there's one guy that's really going off on you, then you adjust to it. Um, so that's why I'm saying. I think you could take your foot off the pedal a little bit with regards to Tatum because if you could hold him to 10 or 12 each game, that's wonderful, but I don't even know that you have to do that. But you can't afford to give – two or three different guys, 20 points, and then have another guy go off for 18, which I think was smart. Um, so I, I would be fine with maybe being a little bit less aggressive toward Tatum just to make sure that you're a little bit more attached to the other shooters to make sure you don't have a performance like this again from the others. Uh, so that would kind of be my my thought process with it. Mm-hmm. And so Boston's defense, you know, one of the reasons I picked – Boston in six was I know I've been talking about their offense quite a bit um, on this episode but their defense was pretty great I thought like all night long Um, the way they kind of switched up their their coverages on ball screens off screens um, you know they were obviously they switched a ton and they had a lot of success switching, particularly when small with with Derek White and Al Horford at the five, and they just kind of, you know, were able to kind of flatten out Golden State's offense and really make them work and flow through their actions until you know Clay Thompson suddenly taking this like fade away two over Al Horford like contested like those are the shots that Boston that that other defenses can't really force. Golden State to take and I think Boston did a pretty good job for most of the game in doing it minus the first quarter when they just like forgot who they were playing and just weren't executing anything in their game plan um is that like a you know I, I people everyone's talking about the three-point shooting I feel like the, the the reason why I picked the Celtics is like their defense carries like that's just gonna be a thing that happens every game every possession every quarter um pretty much regardless of who's on the court. And I kind of feel like this was Golden State's game to... It sounds crazy. This was Golden State's game to steal in terms of, like, we can catch them off guard with how we play offense. And they did in the first quarter, and they had a lot of success with it. But I feel like when Boston settled in defensively, and then they started to force turnovers in the second half, and that was how they got a lot of the pretty good good looks. So I, 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 I don't know. I just, like, what did you, did you make of Boston's defense? And I know it's only one game and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I compared them to potentially to the Houston Rockets in 2018 with how um, that group switched more than any other against the Warriors since the Warriors have been a dynasty. And I went back and I watched a few of those games and a whole bunch of those switching possessions. And it's like, I forgot that like Ryan Anderson was on the, that Rockets team. And like, he's switching out on Steph Curry and just getting like absolutely cooked. 
And, you know, Clint Capella, like, God bless him, obviously, he was switching out onto Steph Curry and just getting, like, torched. And it's like, once Steph goes, it's like, you can switch, but then, like, once Steph drags you out, beats the big off the bounce, and then just kicks to, like, Clay or KD was on that team. KD's just, like, isolating over Trevor Ariza and just hitting impossible shots. I feel like the options there are, I feel like Boston's defense is much better for the strategy that they're going to be executing in this series for the most part. And I have a lot of respect for Golden State's offense. It's the number one offense coming into this game and coming into game one in the postseason. But they don't have KD anymore, obviously. And I think what we saw with Jordan Poole is going to hold. And Jordan Poole is not KD. And so that's why I think Wiggins is so critical. But I'm like, if Wiggins isolations, if you need him to, you know, get you like, I don't even know, eight to 12 points a game, one on one, you're you're kind of like in trouble. Like, I, I, I so I, I don't know, like, what was your impression of Boston's defense? And do you think what they did was sustainable in this game? Well, I don't I don't I don't think you're necessarily in trouble. If against anybody necessarily but i think against this team when you have to get points that way against this team it's asking a lot um we we just saw it work in the last series because you can kind of pinpoint luca uh you know it's a little bit different here because you know as we've talked about for a couple series in a row now where you know in that milwaukee series it's like man they're trying to hunt jalen brown like is this the best defensive player that we've seen, like, <laughs> hunted, you know, like, actively play after play after play? That's that's saying a lot. And it it was kind of funny to think about it that way. But it's also, like, a real question of who are you going after when you play this team? And if that's who you're going after, more often than not, you're going to feel pretty good about that. Like, you know, uh, so that's the reality of what we're talking about with that. Um, Boston's defense is is – fantastic we knew that coming in um i don't think it's just what you hold certain guys to i also think it's kind of boston being able to dictate what happens a little bit um i i I joked about it earlier with you know draymond's shot sounding like dunkirk um but uh which by the way is not my joke somebody tweeted that um but also like his shot composition the, the composition of the shots last night Draymond took 12 shots. Jordan Poole took seven. Like, that is such a huge win if you're Boston. That's Unless intentional. Draymond yeah. is making seven of those shots or, or five of those shots. Jordan Poole shoots two of seven. Draymond shoots two of 12. That's a huge victory for Boston. And that's you dictating what they're doing. It, it's you giving Draymond enough daylight to think that he could maybe score and then hearing Dunkirk. That, that's a win for you. Um <laughs> So, you know, there are plenty of people, and I'm not going to say that I think that this is going to hold. I won't be that uh, strong about it as as you were with Poole necessarily. But I do think that, again, if you were to look at this first game and say, like, it's not repeatable, I would caution you against saying that. Because I do think Boston's defense is this good. I do think that they are they will shape shift and kind of realize and, and, you know, to some extent self-police themselves as far as Marcus Smart calling out what he did on the mic'd up session, as far as Ime Udoka. I mean, anybody could see that they were giving Steph too much space and too much airspace 
in the first quarter. So it was going to be a question right then and there of can they correct this and how quickly can they do it? Uh, because no, the, if, if Steph is going to give you, you know, bludgeon you for 15, 20 a quarter when he's out there playing, you're, you're not going to only keep it to four, you know, for each quarter. But aside from that, they dictated pretty much what they wanted. And I think Jordan Poole uh, has to be more aggressive. And I think, you know, Clay Thompson has to be, uh, I mean, shooting wise, he was not terrible. But just as far as like his level of comfort, he only had a couple shots where he looked fully comfortable in this game. Um, so, you know, it, it'll have to be a bigger effort from him. And to what you said, Wiggins probably does have to do a lot one-on-one. If he's not, then he's going to really have to knock down his open shots, which is pretty similar to what we saw a series ago or the series before that. Yeah, Boston's defense, particularly in the half court, and they didn't have a lot of live ball turnovers, which I thought was also key to this. So much of Boston's success and conversely their failure in this postseason has been how they take care of the ball. Less about like... Um, you know, traveling or or throwing the ball out of bounds. Like, those turnovers are fine, relatively speaking, for the Celtics. It's when Jalen Brown gets stripped and then suddenly you're going the other way and it's a four-on-three or a three-on-two. And Golden State in those situations is just, it's like, it's that's it. Like, you will lose the ball game if you lose the turnover margin. And so they were able to keep them... I felt like they did a pretty good job when they did keep them in the half court, and they did an okay job doing that. And obviously, when you hit shots, which they, you know, when you hit your threes and you prevent the runouts off of the defensive rebounds, like that's great too. Um, but I just thought, I don't know, like Ime Odoka said after the game that they didn't come close to playing as well as they could, and he wasn't like super he was obviously excited about winning the game i guess but um they made so many mistakes in terms of uh losing steph but like also giving up like i don't know how many offensive rebounds kevon looney had but i felt like every time he did get an offensive rebound he would kick out to wiggins or he would kick out to clay or he'd click kick out to steph i think on the the first one was a kick out to steph for a three after steph missed the three and it's like those are just either unlucky bounces or not being able to pick him up and box him out which i thought horford did an okay job just kind of like the ball bounced over his head a little bit but if those don't go golden state's way early um i don't know it's just i, I just thought boston's defense was really sound and yeah. So like I guess like switching real quick, um Golden State's defense, we haven't talked too much about. They, you know, we actually have talked a lot about it, but I want to kind of switch what I want to talk about when it comes to their defense. Um they <laughs> they went zone, I don't know if that made any sense. They went zone. Like wonderful. They went zone um quite a bit in this game. They went box and one on Jalen. They went box and one on Tatum. They they went boxing one on Tatum on one play with pool guarding Tatum. I don't know if you noticed that. And I was like, what is what is going on here? And pool fouled Tatum as he was drilling the ball over half court. I was like, what? I, I, I don't know. There was just like a lot of weird stuff. The, the zone didn't really catch Boston off guard too badly. They had some success coming out of timeouts, particularly in the fourth. There was one possession. Mm-hmm. Um 
where it looked like they 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 stifled Boston's offense and Boston's and Ime Odoka's ATO, but Draymond just like fouled Jalen on the along the right baseline or the right sideline, and Boston was kind of able to escape the possession. But like I, I know that this is who Golden State is. I know they go zone a ton. I, it, it felt like um, they were in their zone unnecessarily or like out of how am I trying to word this out of desperation as opposed to this is who we are and we're going to flex on you. Does that make any sense? Like we, we have to hide our guys here and that's why we're in the zone. Does that like, do you follow what kind of what I'm saying here, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, and I look, I think there's something to be said for even if you are putting together what on paper and, you know, on film, is a good defensive game against somebody like Tatum or to some extent Brown, who, you know, on nights like yesterday takes over as kind of their lead guy out of necessity because, you know, our our, our lead guy is not playing very well or not scoring it very well. Um, there's something to be said for trying different things just to make sure that they kind of stay subjugated, you know, as far as their offense. And making sure that they don't a light bulb doesn't come on for them to where they start playing differently and they shoot themselves out of whatever it is. So I can respect that. Sometimes in doing that, you might overdo it, particularly if you've got Jordan Poole trying to serve as your guy, kind of like the key guy in your zone defense. Um, so there's that part of it. You pointed out one thing that I also thought was interesting. There are a couple things. One, uh, Ime Udoka, even when Boston had it rolling, was calling timeouts you know, before they would get into a set, either because he was saying something he didn't like or something that he wanted to, you know, he thought maybe there'd be more of a benefit out of a timeout as opposed to them coming down the, the court and half court, which is really unusual to see that, particularly for how well Boston had it rolling. Um, he did it two can, or three times. Can I jump in real quick? So sure. I specifically went back and I wanted to see what play he drew up out of the first. It was like sub four minutes in the fourth. And it was like, yeah, it was like they were on a run and he called time and it was like, are you just trying to get your guys to rest? Like what is going on here? It didn't feel like that was what it was either. And he called this play um, where like, I think the Warriors are expecting, um, Steph to be brought into basically every action with Tatum. And so Steph is on Smart, and Smart comes over to set a screen for Tatum. And instead of setting the screen, it's a ghost screen. So he just like kind of runs by the play. And Steph stays with Smart and continues on by. There's like a moment of hesitation with Wiggins. Tatum drives by Wiggins, gets his shoulders past him. Draymond's forced to help off of Horford. Tatum hits Horford on the baseline and it was it was Horford's like it was like a 15 footer jump a 15 foot oh, jump. Oh, I remember shot. that. It was a weird looking shot because everything was from 3, but that yes. was the one shot they had that was like a legit it was a mid-range shot but not from the paint or not yeah, from the middle it, of the floor, it's from the corner. It, yeah, I it remember. It looked ugly, but it was Perfect. extremely effective. It was a wide open shot for Horford. It, that's the type of shot that Horford, I don't know, like I don't know how old our listeners are, but like Ten years ago, Al Hor- that was like Al Horford. Threes bread and were butter. a thing for him. <laughs> Before like him, and Brooke Lopez him. only shot threes. Yes, one hundred percent. So when shot. he when he made that pass, I was like, oh, like this is it's a wide open fifteen footer for Al Horford along the baseline. That's like the old Udonis Haslam shot. Like that just goes in nine times out of ten for these guys. 
So I thought that play was fascinating because it was clear that Ime knew what the Warriors were expecting and called timeout and was like, I'm going to deviate from that slightly and I'm going to have smarts at the ghost screen. So I just thought that was like one of the re- one of the really small reasons coach. why Udoka is just like super perceptive, super like in the weeds with everything, making adjustments in the game. Um, and I, I, yeah, so that was just like a real, I just wanted to shout out Ime for that. That was like, he's really, a really, really good coach, man. And like, I, I mean, it would be easy for anybody to, question like you said like it it makes some sense and i think it's actually a sign of a a, a perceptive coach too to look out and say our guys might be getting tired here even on a run your guys might be getting a little bit tired let's buy them a breather but that didn't feel like what it was for like they had it hadn't necessarily been an up and down game if anything it was the opposite because boston was making so many shots where you have to take the ball out of bounds um so it wasn't up and down necessarily. So it didn't feel like it was a rest. So you figured it was going to be some sort of wrinkle or, or, or something that he was trying to throw in. And I, I do remember that shot just because visually it looks so different because it was like a, it was almost set up for a mid range shot, which you normally don't see that, but it was a wide open shot and Horford had no problem knocking it down. So, uh, you know, huge props to him in that moment. And like I said, there were a couple others I think that he called as well. Which, you know, for whatever you're doing it for, it could be experimental. It could be to just, you know, you have that much confidence about what you think Golden State is going to do and how they're going to defend something. You feel like you're going to get a good shot out of it. So um, it was a it was super interesting fourth quarter. I don't expect to see another quarter like that. But, you know, I've said it a couple of times now. I, I really do think Boston has given Golden State more things to think about or be concerned about. Um in, in, in this series, at least they should have. Um, whether Golden State will do that, I'm not sure. Draymond, it sounded like, will not view it as more things they need to be concerned about. Um, Kerr kind of said that too, where he chalked it up to just like a crazy fourth quarter, a, a crazy shooting performance. Um, but I imagine that, you know, as they look through the film and as they look at some of the things, including plays like that and, and how to guard certain screens, go screens, whatever else. Um, they've got to be prepared for a little bit more than than what they were in the first game. I think. Yeah, I don't. I I, I know I've said this already. I don't think that the three point shooting was the the sole reason that Boston won. It certainly helped. I think th- hot three point shooting on both sides was kind of wild. Um, but yeah, real quick, just last point about the timeouts. I wrote my first story ever published in SI was this like way too granular um, investigation about why coaches call timeouts and how they use their timeouts. And I talked to like 16 head coaches. So I don't even know how many head coaches I talked to for that, for that story, just to ask them what their philosophy was. And it's so funny, like the contrast with Udoka at the end of this game in game one versus game seven against the heat where he doesn't call any – I think – I forget how many. I think he might have had two. And he didn't call any timeouts at the end of that game when the Heat were going on their run because he knew that Spolstra didn't have any timeouts and he didn't want um, to give the Heat an opportunity to kind of set up and talk things over. So I, I, it's just like timeouts at the end of games are so freaking fascinating to me. And so that's why I had my my eye on that. Um is there anything else you want to like? I feel like we didn't talk about Jalen enough, and he had a great game, and 
kind he of did. carried them through. We could have started the episode with Jalen, honestly. Um, his defense on Clay, I thought, was terrific. His switches, um, besides the one early on Steph, once he settled in, I thought were terrific. Um, and he's going to be critical in the series because there's really no one who can who can guard him off the bounce. He had that like hang, dribble, jab, step back jumper over Draymond that like shook Draymond pretty bad from the left elbow. Um, guys, just like the thing about Jalen that makes him so special when you rewatch all of his shots in this game, um, particularly the the, the pull ups from the mid range, mm-hmm. is like defenders no matter how athletic you are you're on your heels with him because he's always low he's always looking like he's going to attack the basket which is what he wants to do but then suddenly he'll just stop and rise and just get the shot off and it's it's open pretty much every time i know wiggins caught him on a switch with a block that was really nice at one point in the game when um i don't think jalen anticipated him switching out on him but jalen can kind of get what he wants in this series. And it's going to be really interesting to me. Like how, how if he can continuously make these pull up twos, uh, it's just going to be a really difficult trek from this point forward defensively um, for the Warriors. And uh, Jalen also made some like pretty good reads and yeah. took care of the ball for the most part and just played, you know, that was one of the, I mean, it's obviously he's never played in the finals before, but it was like one of the most significant, important stretches that he had at the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth in his entire career. So he played, he played great. And I don't really see that as an aberration. Let, let me put it this way. I, I made the comment earlier about how, if you had to make a choice between Tatum having closer to 20 or 25 versus him having the 12 that he did, and then the 13 assists that you would probably on some level rather have his closer to his normal scoring output than him having double digits at all and then also having double digit assists. Um so I would probably rather take that trade off. Um I mentioned it before. Jalen Brown had five assists. I think he had all of them in the fourth. Uh, to go along with the fact that he had, you know, double digit points in the fourth quarter. That's the beauty of this team. Uh, you know, and I think before this game, before the series, you would have said the same thing about Golden State with Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is a guy that can create more of his own offense than somebody like you, you think about Clay as being more of a guy that is going to be set up a little bit. He can score here and there on his own. He can make back cuts that, you know, while it's assisted, it's still something that he's kind of generating because he's finding gaps. Uh, Boston has more of like a traditional, a big second scorer. Um, and Jalen Brown, where he can just kind of put the ball down. He can Euro step around you. He'll, he can be physical enough with you. He took advantage of Steph's size in the post or lack of size in the post once or twice yesterday. Uh, so he can do that. He can get to the line, certainly. And oh, by the way, this isn't Miami as far as kind of reading the way that he's going to dribble and kind of getting into his dribble the same way. Um, so he's not losing the ball every third play. Uh, you know, yesterday was a, was a really good game for him in a moment where they had to have it because Tatum really did not have his scoring. Um, you know, he was obviously able to assist plenty, but Jalen Brown really picked up a lot of slack from a scoring standpoint yesterday. Uh, just a, a huge performance. Jalen Brown, with those five assists, matched 
whatever Golden State's team high would have been. Curry, Looney, and Green. Wow, Looney had a team high five assists. But those three guys all had five assists, and Jalen Brown had five on top of the 13 that Tatum had. Um, again, you 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 want to turn these guys into passers, but I don't know that you want to turn them into passers where the guys that they're passing to are wide open. And I think that's the question here. And the question, going back to the question you asked earlier, of were you almost too aggressive in making sure Tatum couldn't get his? Um, who who do you kind of lock in and key in on to make sure that other guys don't don't go off between Horford, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Pritchard to some extent? So that'll be the interesting adjustment in game two is that you don't want to turn <laughs> Tatum and Brown into John Stockton and uh, Chris Paul. Yeah, the the difference to me with how they guarded Luca, well, they guarded Luca basically the same way, especially when Luca would hunt mm-hmm. Steph and they'd hedge and recover and all that. The difference, Tatum isn't as good as of a playmaker as Luca, obviously, but he doesn't like Reggie Bullock is not the guy who's setting the screen for him. Dorian Finney-Smith is not the guy who's setting the screen for him. So when he has his release valves, it's like I'm passing to Derek White who's a great playmaker, who can shoot, who can put it on the deck, hit a floater, drive, kick, keep the offense going. Marcus Smart is the point guard. Like, obviously, he he can make proper decisions. He can put the ball on the floor. It's a little different to deal with the Celtics when you put two on Tatum than it is when you put two on Luka. At least it will be the contrast here for the Golden State Warriors defense. So that's just something to, to keep an eye on a little bit because Tatum is is not Luka, but he's good enough getting off the ball and reading the floor. And you don't need to be the greatest passer of your generation to to beat this defense if you have the pieces around him that, that Tatum does. Um, can, we, can we talk about one other portion of this that I think... Sure. You know, as I say that Draymond is being too dismissive of the shooter's you know, around the perimeter for Boston. Uh, I mean, one of the defining questions of this postseason and of this finals has been and will be, can Al Horford continue to outshoot his regular season numbers? And to some extent, like his career numbers, he's always been an, a good shooter. Like you were saying a couple minutes ago, I think it was a really uh, smart thing to point out. He was not always a, a three-point shooter. He developed into that, and then ever since developing into that, he's generally always been an above-average three-point shooter. You know, not 40s, but like, you know, mid to high 30s for his career. Um, He's shooting better than 40%. I mean, he's closer to 50%, I think, this playoff. I think he's like 46% for this run. You know, for a series or two, that's one thing, but we've now watched him do that. So... it do you start playing him as closer to a 50-point, three-point shooter? I don't think he's like prime Kyle Korver necessarily. He's not coming around screens. But again, if you leave guys wide open and they know to expect the ball, um, you know, and, and they know that they're capable of making these shots, that was what was so special about Grant Williams in that game seven against uh, Milwaukee, for instance, is the idea. They just don't keep shooting. We're going to get the ball that you've got to keep shooting. And if you make seven of them and you make anywhere near 40% of them, we're going to win the game. That's just kind of how it works. We want to talk about law of averages and what Boston can't do. Law of averages is also if you can make close to 40% of your threes on crazy volume, you're probably going to win. That's probably the frustrating part about this for Golden State is that they shot above 40% yesterday from three and lost by double digits. 
but it's because they gave up so many and they were wide open. Um, and obviously they were, you know, there was a fourth quarter flurry. We've talked about that at length, but, um, Horford shooting this far above his career numbers, his regular season numbers. Uh, again, you, you can't just assume the law of averages is going to play out here and that he's going to miss his next 20. It, it probably won't work that way, um, you know, because of how high above his averages he's shot this whole postseason. So, again, I don't think that they'll overcorrect necessarily, but I don't think that it's helpful to be so dismissive of the fact that he and White could get hot when they've already shown earlier in this postseason that they can do it. Uh, I think Horford, that was the most threes he's ever made in um, a game, regular season or uh, postseason, I think. But I still would not just kind of bank on the idea that like he can't come anywhere near repeating that sort of performance if he's left wide open. They're going to have to show more attention to him. And I would think that some of that means peeling away from Tatum a little bit on the back end when he starts to come in for a drive. Yeah, maybe a you involve... Bit. Yeah, maybe you involve Draymond a little bit more on the ball instead of weak side. Um, one of Horford's threes came off of a, like a flare screen where Tatum set a screen on... It was kind of muddled, but he set a screen on Draymond and Wiggins, and neither both both of them stayed with um, Tatum and as Tatum kind of went into the... meandered into the paint, and Horford popped out for a three. It was a designed action and Horford hit the shot and it's like just why can't you just switch that like I don't understand what you're doing there um so yeah there's a little bit they can clean up for sure I don't think they want to give up as many open threes there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you coming and when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Can we close with uh, one of my... I didn't want to give this take publicly, and I, I kind of still am hesitant to give it publicly. But Chris, you won't do it, though. I'm now. I'm. I'm out there now. I guess I have to. <laughs> I've. I've told a few people in my life before the series this comparison that I had, and you. You wrote about how you thought that this Celtics team reminded you of the 2015 Warriors, which I think is an apt comparison for a lot of different reasons. Um. The team that I and the, because of the series and because of the matchup, the team that I think this Celtics team reminds me of, and it's not perfect, and please don't jump on my back, but this series and these teams, it reminds me of the 1991 Finals when Damn, Michael Jordan, back, Michael Jordan, the his Lakers. first Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers, Magic Johnson, everybody picked the Lakers to win that series because of experience it's magic johnson it's showtime it's like they were all in their early 30s but they'd been there they'd done that the bulls had zero combined minutes they showed the graphic actually on the broadcast last night which made me a little upset because i didn't say it publicly before but oh well um that bulls team zero finals minutes combined by everyone on the roster same with this celtics team i don't think that jason tatum is michael jordan that's not what i'm saying at all (laughs) i do think that the combination of tatum because the game is just different but i think the combination of tatum and this defense is truly special and uh we saw that in in game one and yeah so that's my like hot take comparison for I can't believe you're comparing Jason Tatum to Michael Jordan. <laughs> That's a pullout quote. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. Um, no, but it's interesting because that is that is what swung my prediction. I I honestly think top to bottom Boston's a better team. I don't even think it's really debatable when you at least when you talk about top to bottom as far as two way talent, which two way talent always is really important. Like if Golden State hadn't had as much of it during their title runs, there's no way they win all of those titles, the ones that they've gotten. You think about, you know, all the group effort it takes to try to defend LeBron. Uh, I was looking back at the fact that Iguodala won finals MVP with LeBron's numbers 
being what they were, the counting statistics being what they were, where he led both teams in every statistical category. But his efficiency was poor, at least for, you know, by LeBron standards, they were very poor. That was because of the fact that Iguodala and a group of other people were all there available to defend him between Draymond, Clay, Harrison Barnes. They had every, they had a lot of bodies. Harrison Barnes, everybody on that team, basically, other than Steph, was of size. I mean, even. You know, Sean Livingston is a guy that's tall, you know, that, that, that has long limbs. Like, it was a team really well designed for all that. Uh, there was so much two-way talent on those teams. Uh, there still is for Golden State, but, you know, it's not, you know, it's less than what it was before. That's the major difference as we see all these pieces about how Golden State rebuilt the dynasty. Like, this is a massively different team than before. If nothing else, less two-way talent and a much, much, much younger second, if you could even call him elite ball handler. Like, we haven't seen him do this for years at a time. Jordan Poole is a much younger, less experienced player to put on this stage. So as we talk about experience, you know, I don't think you can harp on it too much with his lack of experience on this stage. Because, again, you have a whole team of guys that hasn't been here before that is just now doing it. But... Uh, it's it's fascinating to think about it um, because they do top to bottom. I think they're just a more complete team than Golden State is, and and maybe that's what will end up playing out in this series. Um, but it'll 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 be interesting one way or the other. I, I think the teams are still pretty evenly matched. Uh, there's more top to bottom two way talent on Boston's roster. Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr can't get out coached in this series, and. Uh, we were talking about some of the things that Ime did, you know, in game one. It'll be fascinating to see how much he rolls out in game two and what counters is he prepared for that Steve Kerr is probably going to throw out um, in game two and how aggressive are those counters relative to game one. Um, I think that game, it'll be a much different series if we're looking at Golden State being down 2-0, which I don't think they ever have been in, in, in this run, in this uh, dynasty title run that they've had. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever been down 2-0 before. Yeah, I'm expecting the Warriors to win game two. Um, I would be very surprised if they dropped it. And this is going to be a long series. Really fun series. Way far from over. Uh, anything else, Chris, that you want to touch on that we did? I feel like we covered all basically all of our bases here with game one and looking forward to game two. and. Got to stay nimble covering this series. It's just like so many different angles, uh, so many different adjustments, pre-adjustments. It's it's a fun one. It's a really, really, really fun series. It it really is. Uh, We were talking. I was trying, you know, not to go overboard because I don't root for teams. I don't really care about the outcome. But um, loser was, (laughs) but was was on some level from a basketball standpoint was hoping we would get this matchup as opposed to the Miami one just because I, you know, it felt like there was more two-way talent for Boston um, at a high level than, than what you have with, with Miami. And you were going to need a lot of that in this series to be able to compete against it. It's the one way in which you can out-punch Golden State, I think. So um, it would be fascinating to watch. I'm, I'm excited to see it carry out. Zach Lowe tweeted at one point, six and a half more games of this, please, after you know the first half of yesterday. Um, and you know, I would be thrilled if this goes seven, I think it probably will go either six or seven. Um, can't imagine, 
somebody winning the series 4-1. It would be stunning if that happened after what we saw last night. But um, I'm excited to see it play out, however it goes. I as well. Uh, Chris, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for your your expertise and your insight. Thank you so much to our listeners. I know we didn't get to any emails on today's show, but please keep sending them in. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everybody, please stay safe. Everybody, please enjoy the NBA Finals. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount+, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.